0: warning guys this episode is very heavy so I strongly advise you keep the kids out of the room for this one. Also please be warned that the heartbreaking stories and experiences shared may be triggering so please be advised. Now women aren't known for being stunt devils guys but my guest today Kimberly Shannon Murphy is award-winning stunt woman that's worked with some of the biggest freaking names in the business like Cameron Diaz, Tom Cruise and Taylor Swift. And in today's super freaking emotional conversation, Kimberly is opening up about the ugly, ugly realities of childhood sexual abuse and family dysfunction and the absolute resilience and strength of a total freaking badass that she's had to build on this journey of her healing. And so in the second part of our conversation, guys, if you haven't actually heard the first part, go back and listen to that. But in the second part of our conversation, Kimberly actually talks about overcoming the unexpected triggers and seeking out the obvious ones. She also talks about the ugly part of healing and how no freaking way is she going to give over her power anymore to anyone who even dares to think about verbally or physically abusing her. And because Kimberly is such a freaking badass, guys, she talks about what it took for her to go from three year old victim, at three years old to a woman that is so freaking empowered that can stand here today and speak with such confidence and command so much damn respect. But before we dive in, guys, one quick thing to mention is Women of Impact subscription over on Apple Podcast. If you want to listen with zero ads and exclusive curated content, go over to Apple.co slash women of Impact right now and dive deep into the subjects and topics that matter to you that span from anywhere from health, confidence, business and/or relationships. So go over right now and subscribe and get your first week for free at Apple.co slash women of impact. Now Let's dive in with my girl, Kimberly Shannon Murphy. I'd love to touch on the shame part, but before we actually do, um, I also heard you say about um, breastfeeding was mm. a trigger. And so that's why like, I really want to talk about the tr- the trigger part first because there were things that I wouldn't have expected, right? Like I can kind of see, oh, yeah, okay, if he was wearing Old Spice, you smell Old Spice, I get it. But there are the unexpected triggers and... I'm fascinated if you don't mind talking about when you were breastfeeding and then how you worked through it. Because I think that if it's if it's expected, maybe we accept it more in ourselves. But when it's unexpected and you react, you're kind of like, oh, God, is there something wrong with me?
1: Um, So talk to me about the breastfeeding. Yeah, I think I came from a place just with my story that and I think I needed to have the space where I was so angry with what had happened to me and so angry with what my life was that I was like, you're not going to win. And that kept me going for a really long time. And a lot of my healing came from that space, which maybe isn't the healthiest space, but it helped me in a way. And the breastfeeding was a part of that. I, it's a sensory thing. So when I started breastfeeding my daughter, I started having f- memories and started being really anxious, and I could feel her anxiousness. I could see, like, her face would change when she was, when I was feeding her. And it was, it was like the biggest gift that he took from me. I felt like I had finally made this life for myself and made all the right choices. And now I can't even feed my kid. So that was really hard. But reading about it and knowing that I wasn't the only woman that had experienced it was, made me feel better. And then I had the moment of like, fuck you. You're not going to win. I'm going to still do this in the way that I have to. So I couldn't feed her anymore because I didn't want to put my anxiousness on her because I could feel her body tense up just from my body tensing up. So I would pump and I would like do weights while I was pumping. That was <laughs> and,
0: mindset.
1: and I would like look at myself in the mirror and I would just be like, fuck you. Like, you're not like, you're not going to win. You're not winning this. I don't care. Like this one thing that you're, I mean, of all the things that you've taken from me, now you're going n- to try to take this from me? It's not happening. And so, yeah, I just did weights. It made my arms really great.
0: <laughs> <Where's> the plus?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Which was a plus. And I was able to look at myself in the mirror and talk to myself. And it's not an easy thing to do because it was, you know, four or five times a day where I was doing that, and she's in the other room, and I'm not able to experience this experience with her. That, you know, every mom talks about is just that, you know, and and that's, that was something that was eye-opening for me too, like the shame part of it, because I am such a women supporting women person, but there are so many women out there where I feel like they say it, but it's not meant or it's not coming from like a real place, and that made, in that moment, I was so less judgmental about, I think we all go through a phase where we're judgmental about people in general, or, you know, you look over and you see a kid on an iPad before you have kids, and you're like, oh, I'll never let, you know, <laughs> in a restaurant, oh, I'm, that won't be me. I'm sorry, not fast. Like, cut to like three years later, I'm like, here's your iPad. <laughs> but we can be so, ju- when we have no idea what people are going through, And that was such a time for me. And I was so just insistent on just like, I don't care. I'm going to just pump for a year. And I would cry. Like every time I pumped, I would just cry because I would still get the flashbacks. It didn't go away. It's just that I wasn't experiencing them with her, which was how I was able to not affect her.
0: Dude, thank you so much for that story. I didn't know about the arm thing and looking in the mirror. Um,
1: I was like, well, I have to do something for 20 minutes while I stand
0: here. (laughs) But that's amazing. This is the shit, girl. This is the shit that people need to start talking about of how they handled it. Instead of feeling the shame of I wasn't able to breastfeed my child, it's like, fuck, you were given a a deck of cards that were stacked against you. And yet, homie, you find yourself in this situation and you, you have a solution. It wasn't easy. You even just said, I was crying every day. So I'm not making out that it was freaking easy. But you you did it. You made the pivot that was right for you and your child, which is freaking amazing. You didn't just go, no, no, you can do it and force yourself to do it. That's so damn important that you acknowledge your own feelings and you respected your own feelings, right? How much of your life hasn't been respected, hasn't been listened to, hasn't been heard. And the fact that you were like, no, I really feel this. I have to make a change. How do I make that change? And then how do I do it and build the confidence in me, even though it doesn't feel good right now? The other thing I want to talk to you about with triggers, though, is you said you found yourself, when things were going well, mm. seeking out your triggers. Yes. What the hell is going on there? Explain to me why you think that happens and then how you recognized it so you stop seeking them out.
1: It's waiting for the other shoe to drop, which is when you come from a family system that's so toxic things cannot be good all the time something is going to happen to ruin this good thing like, this good thing is given to you when i got pregnant with my daughter i was convinced that she had every disease and every and that was just me going i don't deserve this i don't deserve to be she, it, you know and i would go to the doctor way more than i should have he's like she's fine She's healthy. I didn't truly, fully believe I deserved to be happy, and so when my life was going really well, and when things were really happening in such a great way, I was like, "Well, certainly." And even with the book, even still now, this happens to me. It doesn't. It hasn't gone away. I'm, I'm okay. Well you know, no one's gonna read it or it's not gonna impact anybody or no one's gonna get anything from it. You know, it's that voice inside of your head that you have to override constantly on a daily basis and speak to yourself. I have a picture of my little self when I was about six on my mirror in my bathroom and I look at her every day and I talk to her every day. I was very, I do a lot of inner child work. I was very separate from her for a long time which it was very detrimental, I think, for both of us, and she needed to heal, and she needed to feel safe, and she didn't feel safe with me because I didn't feel safe with myself, and so when things were going well for me, I would do something to hurt that not anymore I'm aware of it, and I could I'm conscious of it but when things first started going well for me, i I would do that. Yeah,
0: speak to me about that awareness piece if you don't mind.
1: It came later, and I talk about in the prologue in the book, I talk about being on set very early on in my career and getting really badly hurt. And um, my face was all cut up and and it was that moment. Where I was, everyone's like, go to the hospital. You got to go to the hospital. You got to go to the hospital. And I was like, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. You know, just having that mentality of just, I'm good. I'm good. I knew I wasn't good. I knew I needed stitches. I knew it was a disaster. I looked at myself in the mirror and I was in the trailer by myself. And I remember just like smiling and being happy and feeling like, yes, you deserve to have your face look like this. You deserve to have this happen to you and you're going to stay at work. It's like I'm puni- I was punishing myself, constantly punishing myself for things that I never did to myself because I had somebody in my life who made me believe that I did not deserve to have a life.
0: And a big part, I assume then, of what you've been doing is really building up your self-worth. Yes. How have you been doing that um, and not starting, not seeking external validation?
1: It's definitely a daily process. Definitely, writing the book was a huge help for me in the sense of reading your words, reading your life on paper, or hearing, because I didn't read the audiobook, one of my actresses did. Hearing my story coming from somebody else's mouth made me realize how bad my story was. I don't think I ever truly gave myself the space to go, wow, this was like really fucked up. And being able to read my words, being able to hear my story. And I remember when the audiobook was done and I just like went in my room and it's, I think a five hour or something. And I just sat there with my earphones in and I just like cried the entire time. And I was just like, you fucking did it. Like you did it. You did all the things. You've done all the things that you said you were going to do. And it's been like really ugly. And I think that's the thing. Like people can't be afraid of the ugly part. It's not pretty. It's not pretty to get through these things. And it's very easy to live in a space of you're either going to be like a victim or you're going to be the opposite. And I chose to be the opposite. And I'm not going to be a victim in this story. I was his victim, but I am not a victim. And I refuse to allow him to have that power over me no matter what is thrown at me in my life because of him, which is still very present and still happens. And a lot of times we just sort of get to a place where we're like, okay, well, this is what it is. And this is just my life. And it doesn't have to be, it does not have to be. And it does not matter how old you are. And it does not matter what has happened to you because I, I do believe that we all have our stories, and we all have our journeys to do, and if we don't do the work, we're the ones that suffer, and why are we going to suffer twice? Like You're going to let that person let you suffer twice? You're going to let them do it to you, and then you're going to do it to yourself for the rest of your life? Or are you going to let them have that kind of control over you? You know, what happened to me, I was a child. Now I'm an adult, and I get to choose how the rest of this plays out and how this movie ends. Dude, I love that so much. Like, I love that. But it's fucking hard
0: work. Like you said earlier, it's a daily damn practice. Mm -hmm. So I actually heard you say, you know, your family, a lot of your family, they swept it under the rug. Yes. The problem is, in the short term, I think sweeping it under the rug is actually easier. Yes,
1: 100%.
0: So how do you... I don't want to say encourage people, that may not be the right word. But in situations like where that, where some people listening right now have been sweeping it under the rug daily for 10, 20 years. And on every every individual day, it feels better to sweep it under the rug than talk about what you're saying, whereas like you have to deal with the trauma, you have to let people go, you have to go and seek therapy. Um so how do you actually like what is that thing that people can hear right now? to encourage them to take that step and stop sweeping it under the rug?
1: I think it feels easier to sweep it under the rug on a daily basis, but it actually is in the long term harder to do that because then you have a mountain instead of a a smaller hill of things to get through. Because if you keep doing that, then you have this massive thing to deal with instead of looking at things as they're happening and dealing with them in a positive way and trying to do all of the things that feel right for you. And like I said, for everyone, that's so different. But I do think that the longer you leave the rug there, the longer it's going to take to get it all out from underneath the rug.
0: (laughs) Yeah. God, if you own your own business, when an employee leaves your company, whether on good terms or bad, all lowercase. Again, guys, you can go to shopify.com slash Lisa right now to grow your business, no matter where you are and what stage it's in. That's shopify.com slash Lisa. But in, in in your story, like in what you're saying, so not sweeping it under the rug, um, if you don't mind actually sharing the story of when you were a child and your mum took you to the doctors mm. because you had something on your face, mm-hmm. that was, I think, a very early sign that you could have learned that sweeping, no, 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 sweeping it under the rug is the right thing to do.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. So I was in fifth grade, fourth grade, maybe, um, and I had herpes on my face. I didn't know it was herpes at the time. It was just like this massive cold sore. And I grew up in New York, so it was the winter time, and it was extremely painful and it took my mother a long time to take me to the doctor and so by the time we went to the doctor it was like pretty big and it was like cracking and bleeding and just you know and i do now have memories of him actually giving it to me and giving it to me on purpose it was like a it was a spoken about thing it was something that he did that it was like in his words it was a gift to me so yes he was a sociopath um So my mom took me to the doctor, and the doctor said, it's herpes. And my mom's really good at dissociating because she had to be because she was abused at such a young age, and she left her body and didn't have her memories until after he died, and she was almost 40. So when he said it to her and said the word, it was way too much for her to take in or even register. And so she just kind of grabbed—and I had no idea what the heck— I was just happy that there was a name for it. I'm like, okay, there's a name for it. There's got to be like medicine for it. And she just like grabbed me and took me out of the, like dragged me out of the office. And that was that. And took me to a health food store after. And the guy at the health food store was like, oh, she has herpes. And I'm like, what the hell? Like, what is her? Like, why is it? You know, and gave me some sort of ointment, but it was organic and it was not it wasn't strong enough to deal with what I needed. I needed like actual medication for it. And it went, it went untreated. And then I didn't get tested for it until later in my life, because obviously things were happening for a long time. Um, And then obviously tested positive for it. And, um, and then again, because I've had it for so long, I rarely get sick, but I got, when I got pregnant, (laughs) Um, I think because of my hormones, I was sick all... So I had it all, like, through my entire pregnancy, I basically had it. So I wasn't able to give birth to her naturally. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. You can... They can go blind. What? Apparently, if you have an outbreak. Yeah, which you don't necessarily know if you do, because sometimes it's, like, internal and you can't see it. And so I was just not risking it, and I just did a C-section... Um, so, you know, obviously that was something again. So it was like, it felt like through my life, there was a constant like, Hey, I'm still here. I'm dead, but I'm still here. And I'm still going to like, this is still going to happen. And I couldn't take medicine for it while I was pregnant because the medicine is super strong. So I just had to sort of deal with it. And, you know, I, you know, use ice or whatever I needed to do to make myself feel less pain. And, What were you
0: doing mentally to, because it didn't even dawn on me that that would be the thing that I was like, oh, he's still here. How do you mentally work through that?
1: Through my psychedelic journeys, I've been able to work through that more than through any type of like therapy work, I feel like, because I was able to take a really deep dive into, it takes away your fight or flight and you do it with a doctor, and it's in a very you know safe environment. And you do therapy before with the doctor, and do therapy after. And I was able to really take a deep dive into um, what had really happened to me. I had a lot of memories, like during my experiences, and a lot of things came out. A lot of things came to fruition that I just um, I've always like hated house plants. It's like very random but I've always hated house plants. could never like figure out why they were just always, I'm like, why would you have a plant in your house? <laughs> I just didn't get it. I was like, we're trying to keep the dirt outside and now we're bring dirt inside. And there's all a plant. And I never just, and my husband, I met him when I met my husband, I go in his house. He's got a freaking bunch of plants. It's like, get these things are terrible. Like no one wants, it. he's like, no, it's like good for the air. I was like, I don't care. I don't want a houseplant. Anyway, my grandparents had a cactus in their home and, um, my grandfather was um he had kicked me into the cactus when i was younger and by the way like who has a cactus in their home i mean it was like a cactus it was like a like a large cactus it wasn't just you know like a little tiny like plant and i remembered that in one of my sessions and and so now here i have this daughter who's like a nature freak and all she wants is plants and so before i did my psychedelics and I, you know, was confronted with mommy, let's go to the plant store. I want to buy a bunch of plants. And I'm like, Oh no, 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 no. We're not buying plants. You know, and here's another way of, I had no idea cause I hadn't remembered, but I'm like, you know, you're not bringing a plant in this house. And she's like, mommy, it's like the earth. Like, how do you say no to that? It's like, you know, she was like seven. She's like, it's the earth, mom. I'm like part of the earth. So I started slowly letting her have plants in, you know, yes, you can have a plant. Now she has 45 plants in her Jeez. room. Mm-hmm. She's named them all. She, like, literally has named all of them. Her first plant was a plant that was given to me, like, an orchid, like, one of those orchids. And I killed it. And she's like, Mom, you are not, I am taking this plant. And she brought it back to life. And she named it Survivor. And I have it tattooed oh, on me. Oh, my God, I love that. Like, she wrote that. And so I took her writing and I tattooed it on me. And so that was like the beginning of my plant journey. And so then I remembered it in my psychedelic experience. And now we just have plants everywhere.
0: Wow. I love that story. No idea. That's so beautiful. Um, how,
1: how have you forgiven your mom? Mm. I haven't. I don't, I don't necessarily believe in the whole forgiveness thing. I think it's like a crock of shit, to be honest with you. I don't believe you need to forgive something that's unforgivable in order to be at peace with yourself. I don't think that what he did to me is something that's forgivable. I don't think that my parents being absent in all of it is forgivable because they could have saved me and they didn't.
0: Because and I believe your mom walks in on you as well yes. or on you yes. and your grandfather. yes.
1: Um, And he had so much power over her and had groomed her since she was the age of probably similar to me. And so my mom leaves her body a lot and I can see when it happens. She just completely like when things get too much, she's like completely dissociates like that's how she survives. That's how she handles it. And my mom has done a lot of work and we've had a lot of conversations and we talk a lot about it, but I don't. I will never forgive my parents for what happened to me and I will never forgive him for what happened to me or my grandmother or any other adult who was around who knew who he was and didn't do anything. Dude, talk
0: to me about that further. Like, I actually love, like, no, I'm not going to fucking forgive him. Like, it's, it's atrocious. I didn't deserve it and there's no going back this superpower, a lot of power in that. And at the same time, I've heard people say, but then you can't move on. So talk to me about that.
1: No, I've moved on. I've totally moved on without forgiving. And actually, I feel more powerful in being able to say that I don't forgive you. And look what I can still do with my life, even though Everyone has their opinions on. Oh, I need to forgive to move on, or I don't need to. And I'm not. I don't judge anyone for the their process and whatever they need to do for them that makes sense. And, but for me, I never felt like oh, I've got to get to a place of forgiveness. And I've, I've, you know, he put me through fucking hell. I do not need to forgive that, and I do not need to forgive anybody who was in a, a participant in any way, and. There's a scene in the end of the book where I see my grandmother at a party for the last time. We just happened, well, I was at my aunt's house and my grandmother was there. And she wanted to take a picture with my daughter. And my aunt asked, you know, grandma wants to take a picture with your daughter. And I just said, no. Because she's a predator just like he was, in my mind.
0: Because she knew it the whole time. I
1: believe she knew it the whole time. I mean, I was six years old, you know, five o'clock in the morning at their house, coming out of the shower. She's standing right there, doesn't ask any questions. You are a, a part- an active participant in what's happening here. And, and until the day she died, wore his wedding ring around her his, her neck, carried a mug that said, I love my husband like had a shrine in her house that was just pictures of him, like put it still when she knew everything. So I believe she always knew everything. And there was a confession letter that he wrote that was found after he died. And so, yeah, no, I don't forgive any of them.
0: Oh, my God. The the trust element, girl, like I just I so applaud you for being able to build back up, like really the, your book and just everything that we're talking about. It's like for you to be so strong and sit here. Fuck. Like it's so deep and so powerful. So th- just thank you for just everything, all your vulnerability. And one of the things I really wanted to ask you though is as you were talking about your ex-husband and now your new husband. Um, well, I guess not new, but your uh, more recent husband. Um, you you talk about the fact that you had to learn intimacy
1: Mm
0: -hmm. and I was like god it wouldn't have dawned on me but talk to me about that because when I think about people who have been um especially sexually abused I know that that's a big thing of how do you let go how do you give yourself over to your partner again. I've done a lot of episodes with sex uh, experts and hormone doctors and, you know, the idea of a woman being able to orgasm and orgasm being amazing for your health. Mm. And now the fact that the one big thing that a woman needs to orgasm is trust. Talk to me about that and how you started to learn to get comfortable and intimate with your husband.
1: I, Well, for me, it was always easier with people that I didn't love or I didn't I didn't necessarily trust or people that I just met. Sex was always easier for me with those kind of people. Including orgasms? Yes. Oh, interesting. Because my very early experiences of my sexual experiences came from a person that I hated. So that's what felt comfortable for me and felt like I recognized so with my husband now, who's like the kindest person on the planet, and we still work through, it's, it's a process. Like it's still something that we wor- have to work at and work through and be conscious of because it's not, I don't think that's, that's something that ever goes away. Oh yeah I and mean, when you
0: talk about it in your book about how you like slowly how you meet him and how you let him know about your past um so for anyone listening like they should definitely go read your book and um read that part of it because i think it's super powerful um to think through anyone right now that may be thinking oh i, I can never be intimate again and whether that means actually sex or yeah. orgasm or just being openly emotional yeah. right being open vulnerable and trusting somebody with your whether it's a secret or a vulnerability, let's just call it that, um, is, is somewhat risky, especially if you've been somebody who has trust issues or has been abused before.
1: Yes. I don't have the full answer to that. I think that's ever growing. And I think it's something that we will always be working on and talking about. And he's always worried about me and how if, you know, if I'm okay and if everything's okay and that can be hard too because then it it's hard to be intimate when you have the other person's, I can feel his concern about me. And so it's an ongoing conversation, I feel like. And we've definitely have our ebbs and flows with it. I think like every relationship does. And I I just talking about it like I'm a, just a big talker I'm you know and that comes from living in a secret my whole life I just feel like I'm let's just talk about, let's talk about it let's talk about it and that makes things easier to be able just to vocalize how you're feeling whatever that is and whatever that looks like and even to vocalize how I feel he feels with me and he sometimes doesn't feel safe with me in the sense of that he's hurting me or that I'm, that he might be bringing things up for me or that I'm uncomfortable. And so that's like a whole other layer of it, of working through it. The more that I surround myself with strong, positive women, the stronger I become. And the more that I shed the women in my life that are not aligned with my journey as much as I love them, the stronger I become in myself. And for me, Cameron was the first person in my life that showed me that because she was this powerful, incredible woman who I had the honor of doubling and becoming friends with and just watching her move through her day and how she connected with people, I realized how disconnected I was with people. And how she looked everyone in the eye, which is something that I really struggled with, which I think a lot of people that are abused struggle with, the looking someone in the eye when you have a conversation because you feel uncomfortable or you don't feel secure with yourself, and so you're constantly looking away or don't feel confident about the words that are coming out of your mouth or that you're being judged and all of these things. And watching her had taught me so much and, and obviously through the book process of me writing the book, she was such a strong pillar for me to be there for me. And, and, and I lean on those people a lot in my life now. And I find that that is what gives me a lot of power.
0: Oh, I love that so much. Being around power, uh, powerful women, I'm the same. Like it gives me the energy. Um, and then thank you for being honest about the intimacy part because it's the thing that uh, a lot of people don't talk about. And I think it really does make a difference. And not that this is even remotely the same, but when I had massive gut issues, like I could, I, I was like 20 pounds lighter than I was now. I could barely eat anything at all. I couldn't stand up for longer than five minutes at a time because my gut was in such disarray. It was like inflamed that it looked like I was like pregnant up top like on the top half of my belly. Um And so you can imagine intimacy and sex was very hard for me. And to your point of my husband always asking, are you okay, am I hurting you, was triggering for me because here I am trying not to think about how much pain I'm in I'm trying to be engaged with my husband. It isn't sexy that he's asking me, but it's very sweet and kind. Mm-hmm. But now it throws you out of the mood. And so, again, not that it's the same, but it does become, and then my solution really was the honesty piece as well, just keep talking through it. And sometimes I'd be like, Please, just stop asking, yeah. right? Like, and we'd have cold words where it's like, I just need you to stop asking because I'm fine, and I just need a quick word to tell you that I'm fine. And so, these types of communications, when you're dealing with things like this, um, I think is so imperative that brings you closer together versus pull, pulls you apart. Yes,
1: completely. And I think that it is similar in 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 the sense of we all have our own things that we go through, right? And so, intimacy, especially when you're with someone for a long time can get really tricky because you do get to a point where you're with, you know, you meet them and you know you're having sex all the time and that's just what it is and then things slow down and especially if you have children and mm. it shifts and and so I think it is really important to make your partner like the number one person even if it's not all the time, most of the time, especially when you do have children and especially when you do have trauma or issues surrounding intimacy or surrounding, you know, being sexual with them because it is something that some, sometimes you need to have conversations through it. And then you get to also there's those points where you don't do it for a while and then you don't do it for a while and then you don't do it for a while and then you're just like, we haven't done it for a while, <laughs> you know, and, and so it's it's that too. And then recognizing in me, okay, what what's coming up for me? in my world that isn't, doesn't feel good or right or that I, that I even want to, you know, and I think that's something that's really common when we get to a point where we're in love with someone and we're in a relationship with someone. And I talk about this in the book in my twenties when I was just really sort of promiscuous and making really bad decisions And having sex with whoever, which I think a lot of us have gone through, a lot of us haven't, a lot of abused women, you know, it's something that is very common in women that have been abused because you just feel like your body isn't yours. And so you're just sort of using it in any way. And I went through that stage and that felt very comfortable to me, where now it would not because I'm in a completely different space, thank God. But then it did. And then it was something that, I use as a coping mechanism to make me feel better about myself. Like, oh, I'm attractive to all of these men. That must mean that I'm worth something. in
0: in reading your book and everything that we're talking about, I've actually gone back and thought about the young girls in my school. Mm. And there was a couple, one specifically, that... Slept around, yeah. you know. Everyone's, like, oh, she's the slut. She's the one that does the drugs, dude. Now my empathy, I'm just like, oh my god, I need to find her. I need to like, but like, the the thought of when you're younger, people like at, at least society's changing where people like yes. you. Holy smokes, God! The fact that you're willing to talk about this on this show in your book, I, I really do believe will start to change lives. But growing up, you know, I'm 44 or 40, 43, so. It, growing up, no one was talking about this. No. And so the amount of the generation that I lived in of how many women went through this and now carrying it into their adulthood and it's echoing in everything they do, everything that they, uh, you know, as we started with the relationships they're building um, is so damn heartbreaking. And it, it, it now makes me look at children differently. I yeah. think you even say in the book, like when a kid's crying in the corner for seven hours because they don't want to see Uncle Bob, freaking pay attention. Yeah.
1: And also, you know, they don't need to hug Uncle Bob either. Like, that's a huge thing, too. You know, we have a friend of ours who's always—and he's a great friend, but he's always like, give Kim Kim a hug, give uh, Uncle Kim—like, no, he doesn't have to do any of those things. Like, if they want to hug you, they'll hug you. And I'm that way with my daughter. If you, I don't ever say that to her. However she chooses to interact with an adult, and I think that that's a huge thing, too, is— I grew up in a generation similar where it was kind of like, you know, we don't ask questions about what adults say, what they say goes, mm-hmm. this is what they oh, by the way, there is no reason. You're like, why? Well, because, yeah, because,
0: because I said hard. so,
1: because I said so. Oh, okay. That makes perfect sense. Like, why do we, why are we doing this? Because this is what we do. Okay. Makes absolutely no sense. And then the, you know, make sure you hug your grandfather. Goodbye. Make sure you hug your grandmother. Goodbye. If they want to hug them, they will hug them. If they don't want to, there is a reason. And you need to pay attention to those cues. And you need to pay attention to the fact that I don't care who you trust in your family. You do not fully ever trust anyone. It's a horrible thing to say in the sense of you want to, like as a human being, you want to always fully trust people. You want to always fully have that feeling. But Especially for me, when you've been through something like I have, I'm very particular on who my daughter spends time with, who I allow her at, who's home. And th- that's for a reason. You know, you never know what uncle might be hanging around wherever or whatever. And, you know, it, it, it takes one second to change a child's life.
0: And I heard you say that you're teaching your child boundaries from now, so that yes. when they're younger, mm-hmm. so that it... W- cause how much have you had to unwire, girl, like your entire life?
1: Yeah, I didn't know what boundaries were until I was like 35. Why? I was like, wait, what is that? that? Like, what's the boundary? I can actually say that? I can actually tell someone no? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, you become a people pleaser because you just think that you need to do all these things. And, and yeah, I, we talk about boundaries. We talk about her body. She you know she's in taekwondo for like <laughs> that, i'm like fuck yeah I'm like many reasons why i'm actually slightly starting to get a little bit afraid of her and i'm like wow she's oh, kicking i am a black belt yes, yes But she's on. like kicks really hard and i'm like no i'm mommy we don't practice on mommy No, no thank you and then she actually came home from school i won't say the child's name but she said so and so was hitting me on the shoulder today mom and I said okay she said you know it wasn't just one boundary it was like four boundaries that she broke and I was just like took a moment where I was like I've created this this is amazing and I said okay and what did you do and she said well I told her to stop and I said okay and she didn't listen and so I punched her in the stomach (laughs) and I said great because she didn't listen. She didn't listen. She was putting her hands on you. And I want her to understand if someone puts their hands on you, no matter who it is, and you ask, please don't touch me, and they continue to touch you, that you do whatever you need to do to make them stop touching you. Wow. And that goes for huge levels. I mean, that's a small level of obviously it was another girl. They're probably just being annoying and being kids, but it speaks to a bigger. Situation, right? That she might be in with an adult. And I say that to her as well. Just because there's adults in your life that are teachers that are, that you're supposed to look up to, that you're supposed to respect, that you're supposed to feel these things does not mean that they deserve your respect, does not mean they deserve to be looked up to until they prove themselves to you. And then even then, sometimes they will turn around and do something to you that's hurtful. And if they do, you are, have my full permission to take care of yourself, and you will never be in trouble for that, for protecting yourself and taking care of yourself. Because for so many years, we have this idea that because you're an adult— you're, you know, you, there just aren't rules for you.
0: Yeah, Do you, your next book needs to be about book for kids. By the way, right? of how to set boundaries. That yeah. this is amazing. And then, as I was thinking about, I grew up, in, and I'm sure you did as well. Grew up in a generation where it's like, no, 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 if a boy tugs on your hair or if he pushes you down in the place, it means he likes you. Yeah. Now think about the freaking messaging of why so many of us ended up in these terribly toxic relationships. Because from a child, you're taught that if
1: if they hurt you, it just means they like yes. you. The messaging is completely, we were compl- they were completely off. Yeah. yeah. And then it's re- rewiring that as, it, you know, if you choose to have children in your life, like rewiring that. And even if you choose not to have children in your life, you might have nieces or nephews or people that, you know, I don't want me to be the only person in my child's life that she looks up to as a woman. Mm-hmm. That's why it's so important for me that I have women around her that I think are amazing and that I know will like have my same thought process and patterns because I want her to hear it from other people. Mm -hmm. I don't want her to just hear it from me. I want her to hear it from, you know, all walks of life and, and, you know, and she's, yeah, and she's doing it. And I, the days that I question myself or feel like, am I doing a good job? And then she comes home and she's like, she broke three boundaries today. I'm like, yep, you're doing it, Kim. It's happening.
0: That's so amazing. Where can people find you, your book, girl? It's just so freaking amazing.
1: Um, on Amazon. I feel like it's the easiest thing for everybody. But it's, it's on Amazon. It's in Barnes & Nobles, But I feel like they don't carry as Amazon. I feel like it's the best Go to place. To to- Go to Amazon. Slimmer on Amazon. <laughs> and where, and where they? can they follow you? Um... I, I really just do Instagram and it's the longest handler on the planet. <laughs> l- l- literally, is. Kimberly Shannon Murphy stunts. It's like so obnoxious. <laughs> but dude,
0: if anyone wants to go, your stunts are freaking epic. So, guys, guys, you gotta go check her out. You gotta check out her book, Glimmer. I'm telling you, it's so freaking empowered me. This was a really hard episode for us to discuss, at least for me, because it's a very sensitive subject. And to try not to trigger anyone that's listening or watching is very important. Why? Because we're actually looking for you to make change. The reason why she wrote this book was to actually give you guys the tools to know that you're not alone. And guys, if you're not subscribed, click that subscribe button down there. And until next time, be the hero of your own life. Peace out, guys.